0: In the traditional scale fingerings, the left hand is often at a disadvantage just because of the way the fingerings work. Uh, Just mechanically, the way that the left hand has to cross the fourth finger over onto a white note usually, whereas the right hand always gets to cross over the fourth finger and the third finger onto a black note. Which kind of is a little easier because you don't have to cross quite as far, you can just land on that black note and it feels a little more natural within the hand.
1: Welcome to the Piano Sensei way. I'm your host, Clint Pratt, and I'm here to help you master the art of running a successful piano teaching studio. Today, we have a special guest, Zach Adamson. So I will welcome him on now. And Zach, tell us a little bit about where you are and what or who you teach.
0: All right, thanks, Clinton. I'm uh, currently a master's student. I'm studying at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. And so as a master's student, I'm teaching some of the the non-music majors who are students at the university who are taking piano lessons. And then I've also recently started teaching at an academic school that they are now offering private piano lessons to some of their students. So they're starting a new program called the the Utah Young Artists. So I am one of three piano teachers that is working for that school. And I have about, I have just five students currently with them. So then I also teach a group piano class here at BYU. That's for beginning piano for non-music majors. So that's a lot of fun as well.
1: Okay, yeah, great. I actually visited there once uh, several years ago was for the MTNA Collegiate Chapter Symposium thing. I, I don't know oh, if that's yeah. the, the name, but um, yeah, it's a beautiful area. I love to see in the mountains and all that. Yeah, um, we have yeah, a brand see-
0: new music building, so it's it's pretty great.
1: Nice. So you said you teach non-music majors?
0: Yep. So and is that
1: group or private? Or you said both, actually.
0: Both, yeah. So I have about seven students right now who are just university students who decided to take piano lessons for whatever reason. So they're at different levels. and But they're not studying music, so they're just doing it as kind of an extracurricular or an elective class, basically.
1: Okay. Well, that's nice. So hopefully that's, they, they want to be there. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Right. Okay. Well, that that's nice. Yeah. And uh, just to tell the audience, um, we, well, we kind of met, didn't really meet, I guess, at the recent piano conference, NCKP. I think I saw Zach walking around maybe, but I saw his bio and I saw his, he had a poster about a topic of scale fingerings, alternate scale fingerings, which is gonna be our topic today. And so, but I didn't get a chance to like actually talk to you about it there. But um we emailed afterwards and then I thought, hey, come on the podcast. Let's talk about it because this is fascinating. So my podcast is the Piano Sensei Way and it's sort of, you know, tongue in cheek, um my way is the best way. So just do it and trust me and here we go. Um, and, uh, but yeah, is there one way, right? So this is interesting because is there only one way to do scale fingerings, right? Like I always thought that, oh, you have to do this. You have to start, you know, all the, all the white key scales, you know, are the same, except B is left hand four and right. you have right hand one two three four you know other than that they're the same and then you have all these right there's all these rules and then I noticed in the Facebook groups like Piano Teacher Central there's always controversy somebody saying oh my student played the scale this way and everybody comments no you have to start this scale on this finger or whatever so tell us like why you're interested in this topic like was it for yourself for your students both how did that all happen
0: yeah so it first started as a as an undergrad, I, I was also studying here at BYU. And for one, just for one term during the summer, I had a chance to take lessons from Jeff Shumway, who doesn't, who wasn't normally my teacher, but I had a chance to just take from him just for that summer. And one of the things that he, he, um, he's kind of a, a math nerd a little bit and he loves analyzing things and and uh, so one thing that he helped me realize was that in the traditional scale fingerings the left hand is often at a disadvantage just because of the way the fingerings work Uh, the just mechanically the way that the left hand has to cross the fourth finger over onto a white note usually whereas the right hand always gets to cross over the fourth finger and the third finger onto a black note, which kind of is a little easier because you don't have to cross quite as far. You can just land on that black note and it feels a little more natural within the hand. So he actually pulled out this article. He had clipped this article from the Clavier Magazine from, um, I'm reading it right here. It's called Equal Rights for the Left and it's from 1983. So back in 1983, the author of this article, Frederick Kirschberger, wrote about this topic, how the left hand kind of has this disadvantage. And he proposed alternate fingerings that allow the left hand to follow the same principles as the right hand that kind of create equality, you could say, between the hands. And so that was my first exposure to it, and I started getting really interested in I started practicing these alternate fingerings. I made little diagrams. kind of. I was interested in how the fingerings lined up between the hands. Yeah, it just kind of mm-hmm. fascinated me. So I ended up using it in my own practicing. And then more recently, I've actually started sharing some of these fingerings with my students, which I think has been helpful. And I'm excited to start using it more in my teaching.
1: Yeah, so at this point when you discovered that, I'm assuming you had already been playing scales and you were comfortable with scales using i guess we'll say traditional fingering is that yeah. correct okay yeah absolutely. so, then, so then i don't know just... if i
0: was very comfortable i was still having some trouble so it actually helped me because i was i don't think my scales were at to the level that they are now after i've been i can do the the traditional fingerings great and i've been practicing those but i can also do some alternate fingerings that work really well
1: Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. I know, like, before we get into some details and examples, which I'm excited to do, I'm just thinking for myself, yeah, I, some of them are always uncomfortable as well, but I really liked B major and um, F sharp major, um, especially playing hands together, right? They just, you do the long fingers on the black keys and thumbs on white keys, and it's just way more easier. So I started actually teaching my students like the first scales that they play hands together. I always started them with B, F sharp and C sharp. And even though, you know, it might seem harder, like, Oh, there's only sharps, but actually fitting the hands together and all that. Right. So yeah, I'm curious. Well, I, I know a little bit, cause I looked at your stuff already, but you know, we can tell the audience like, okay, is are those changed in your alternate ones, right? Like B, cause B seems pretty comfortable already, but maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't know. No,
0: that's a great point. So those ones are not actually changed. In fact, those are, I totally agree. They're the most comfortable. And I've also taught many students where those are the first ones we learn, or those mm-hmm. are the first ones I invite them to learn. And that seems to work really well. Those were always my favorite as well. Cause I just felt like I could just fly on the keys and it just felt natural how it, how the thumbs always line up together. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just felt really good. And I didn't have that feeling of fluidity with the other scales. So we can, I don't know if we wanna go into which scales specifically are the alternate ones and then.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's do it. And and just to tell the audience real quick, if you're just listening on the podcast, remember there's uh, a video version on YouTube, The Piano Sensei Way. And especially this one, we're going to show some diagrams and Zach's actually sitting at the piano as well. So it might be helpful to see it, but, but if you're just listening audio, that's fine too.
0: Great. So the first thing I want to actually talk about is how this alternate fingering can actually be used as a way to help students develop a sense of autonomy of ownership, of figuring something out for themselves, because often it's. I think sometimes as a teacher, it's easy for me to just say, "Do it this way, right? Just learn it, memorize it." But I, I'm a very, uh, I'm a proponent of the idea: if the student can learn how to figure it out on their own and learn the principle behind it, then that principle can be applied to other areas too. So the main principle, if you, um, if you look at this article, the equal rights for the left, the main principle is that it feels more comfortable to cross over. We're only, we're only going to be doing scales with groups of three and four. So we're not even going to be using the pinky unless it's like at the end of the scale, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means that we're always going to be crossing over the third finger at some point, and then we're going to be crossing over the fourth finger. And depending on what scale it is, if we use the right hand as an example, all of the quote-unquote traditional fingerings for the right hand are going to stay the same for these alternate fingerings. And they're the ones that fit most naturally. If you look at E major, for example, you start on E, and then when you get to your third finger is on a black note, the thumb is able to cross under to the A, and the fourth finger just happens to fall naturally on D sharp, which just feels really comfortable. So we can do a blocking pattern of fifth finger on E, four, three, two, one, we feel that fourth finger on the black note, Crossover, third finger, three, two, one, G sharp, F sharp, E. It just feels comfortable. So I've actually taught my students a lot of times to just when they're doing hands alone. Yes. Just cover those positions, right? And that's mm-hmm. really nice um, for the right hand, and it turns out for the left hand this fingering already works really well. So we don't have to change this. We can use the traditional fingering because it fits really nicely in the left hand. I have pinky on E, fourth finger naturally just happens to be on F sharp, which is a black note, which is what we want. And then the third finger crosses over onto C sharp. So I can practice the block. Mm -hmm. So that's just, I'm just talking about hands separately for now. If we go to um, the, the ones that we're going to be focusing on that are going to change for the left hand are C major, G major, D major, and A major. And then also on the flat side, F major. So mm. these five scales are going to be mostly the ones that we're focusing on for the equal rights for the left hand. Those are the ones where if you look at Um, D major, for example, the right hand gets to play third finger on F sharp, fourth finger on C sharp, which is really nice because you know where to cross over the fourth finger right onto the black note and, and the third finger right on to the black note. But the left hand is kind of like, I mean, if you look at our hands, our hands are not parallel. Our hands are a mirror image but yet the scale fingerings that are traditional don't really take that mirror image into account. So what you end up with is you have to cross the fourth finger onto an E, which is a white note, and the third finger onto a B, and then you get these black notes that are just kind of thrown in there and you just have to recognize where they are, but they don't actually, in the right hand, they're kind of like little checkpoints, right? You can feel where that the beginning of that block starts with the black note four three two one fourth finger on c sharp three two one you can kind of feel that in the left hand it just kind of feels awkward to have a fourth finger on the white note and there's not really any indicator that helps me to kind of visualize where those blocks start
1: right yes let me jump in for a second zach this is fascinating because yeah left hand for d you can still practice blocking it like you said but it, it is a little awkward and i was just helping a student with this last week d major and um i think we were doing maybe yeah mostly just hand separate two octaves and then like hey for you know if you want to try both hands together or whatever but before we even got there left hand you know i think he was okay ascending but then descending he kept wanting to put his thumb every time after a black key, right? So I'm going to do it just so I can feel it. But um, D coming down one, two, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, you know, and I interrupted him once. I'm like, no, 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 it's one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, three, you know, and then he tried it and struggled again. And then, you know, I remembered the alternate idea. And I thought to myself, wait, why, why, why can't he do that? Like, it's, it's fine and um it's like b minor too b natural minor that's yeah. how you would, that's how you would do that is thumb on the b so one of the four one of the three
0: one of the three
1: right and so i just kind of let him do it i'm like yeah okay just put your thumb after the black key and yeah it was way easier
0: <laughs> that's so interesting so he kind of naturally maybe intuitively mm-hmm. felt that it it was easier and I didn't mention it's it makes it easier to cross over onto black keys right fourth third third finger yeah. but also makes it easier to tuck under going the other way because if I'm tucking under the third finger if my if my uh third finger is on c sharp it's easy to tuck under onto the b because the third finger is elevated a little bit mm-hmm. and then fourth finger on f sharp And then you might ask, well, then we don't start on the pinky, right? And that feels we're, we're so used to starting pinky on the bottom and then fourth finger and so on. And so that is, I guess you could say that's a trade-off, but I think, um, it's helpful to learn this principle and actually know how to play both the traditional and the alternate because in different settings in repertoire pieces, I've used both of them when they've been sometimes felt more comfortable.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we don't always do fifth finger, left hand, starting on the black keys. So, right. It's just, and maybe we spend too much time teaching students like just the white key scales and everything is five, four, three, two, one. Right. And then you start doing a black key one. and Oh my gosh, we're not starting on five. It's the end of the world. Yeah. So maybe just forget that idea. You don't have to start on five. You just want to find the comfortable groupings right of where where is your one two three and one two three four yeah and and side note i always simplify it and sometimes i make other teachers mad because i i say every single scale major minor right hand left hand going up going down doesn't matter every single scale is one two three one two three four you know and people are like no it's not you start on three you know but my point is it's in there somewhere, right? There's a one, two, three and a one, two, three, four. You might be starting on the three and going down or whatever, but it's still, everything's groups of threes and fours because three plus four is seven and that's how many notes are in a scale.
0: It's like you're, it's always that cycle, but you're just entering, starting that cycle on a different spot. And that's what, that's really helpful to recognize that as well.
1: Yeah, so is that the, the alternate, alternate fingering for D left hand
0: yes so for in the article equal rights for the left that's the one that he proposes where you would actually start d on your second finger Mm -hmm. which would allow you to put fourth finger on f sharp, and then it just flows really nice as you're and you can kind of feel how that works Mm -hmm.
1: yeah okay i'm kind of fingering at myself silently at the piano and then um, do you want to talk about hands together, too? Because I'm trying that, too. And it's like two, one and one, two. So that feels yeah. kind of good. And then, yeah, uh,
0: so black key is three
1: and four. But yeah, I, I can do it pretty easily. Yeah.
0: So this comes to the hands together part. Um, You mentioned B major, which is really easy to block these hands together. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I took the article and then I made these color coded blocking patterns that you can kind of see that naturally. How the fingers fit together and uh, it's kind of you can kind of see the symmetry of it too how the left hand going down is the same as the right hand going up if you start at a certain point
1: a let me forward. share that
0: yeah so let's go let's actually go to the blue one on the, the next page yeah next page so the blue group i'm showing here i'm showing here this is already the traditional finger what we normally do for b major like you were mm-hmm. saying but I'm just showing how you can group them. So on that top one, I have B, right hand starts on thumb. And then we have two, three, and three, two, the block together, and then thumbs on E, and then two, three, four, four, three, two. Mm-hmm. And the little black line and the black box are the two different points of symmetry. So you can kind of see actually if, if you go to the the three on G sharp. If you were to go up from G sharp in the right hand and down from G sharp in the left hand, it would be it would be the symmetrical fingering. So you would be doing oh, like okay. The same, yeah, same yeah. thing with two, three and three, two. If you start on the two, three and three, two, and I go up and out. So I'm, if I'm going outwards, right hand goes up, left hand goes down. playing a F sharp but
1: for B okay yeah yeah
0: so that's how um, that's how I invite my students to practice it hands together put your thumbs together and also be aware you can substitute out like the fourth finger for the first one but for most of them it's going to be thumb unless it's more convenient to start with the fourth finger in the left hand just be a I just try to be aware that fourth finger is not actually part of this pattern it's gonna be repeating it's, right uh, something that's convenient a way to start it
1: right because then it yeah it feels like four three two one four three two one right and like wait I thought it was all alternating groups of threes and fours yeah and that's that's how I teach my students too it's just it's a group of four it's just if you want to start on four it's just because four happens to be the next finger that's there at the end right yeah yeah. Exactly. Also, yeah, I, this is interesting because I usually have my students practice, you know, contrary motion scales, too. Um, and some of them are hard. Like B is actually hard right, if you're actually starting on the B, uh, Because the thumbs happen at different times. But yeah. this is interesting. It, it would be good, too, I think. But you let me know. Um, practicing contrary motion, you know, from the tonic, but also from, like, the point of symmetry. Yeah, and maybe they have to figure that out, right? Like, where is it going to be the symmetrical fingering? Where would you start?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so it's it can be really cool to play around with it. So just kind of looking at how this would look like, I could start with, I'm just going to, I'm not even going to do the fourth finger in the left hand. I'm just going to start thumb thumb. the block. So that's why I have them kind of spaced out. So whenever there's that white space, that would be a time to pause. And then I like to have my students cover the next block before they actually play it. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like a carpenter, right? Like measure twice, cut once. Yeah. If you just check (laughs) it a few times and then when you actually play it, you nail it the first time because you already covered it and can feel the tops of the keys cover play jump to the next one cover the thumbs make sure they're covered so this is just a really great way to have students practice it so they're feeling the hand positions um i think the way of, that we kind of divert to sometimes is just and we immediately start practicing like that and, and we're not thinking in terms of blocks and how they're do so you think about language and how we speak we speak in in little phrases and chunks and we see words and our brains process things in blocks. So I think it's just more helpful to see these blocks and really feel what they feel like, like this. And then when I add everything, it's a lot easier to Yo. feel it, how it flows together. My idea was like, we have these blocks for B and F sharp. Why don't we figure out what feels natural for the other ones? And where's the point mm-hmm. of symmetry for these ones?
1: Do you want to connect with other teachers in person? Do you want to learn new teaching strategies and explore outside the box approaches? Join us at the Creative Teaching Conference, a radical retreat to recharge and reinvigorate your teaching. This unique conference was started by me and my two friends and colleagues, Christopher Oyle and Tony Parlopiano, back in the summer of 2022. All three of us had so many ideas we wanted to share, but instead of trying to get selected for an MTNA or NCKP conference, we created our own event. We each present a few workshops, but we also have guest presenters as well. Topics include improvisation, composition, student led learning. You'll experience inspiring workshops on creative teaching strategies and creative performance ideas. Learn about different ways to structure lessons such as online groups, memberships, and subscription models. We eat meals together and plan social time so you can connect with teachers from all over the country, forming new musical friendships that will last a lifetime. Mark your calendars for July 7 to 9, 2024 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Check out creativeteachingconference.com for more info.
0: So C is actually really easy. I I just taught this to a student recently, and she was like, oh, this is way easier than the traditional fingering." So you just have to do uh, one, two, three, three, two, one on CDE. So it's just really simple to put those together. And then starting at the left hand on F, fourth finger on F, thumb on F. And this is a really easy one to just teach students and it's a lot easier than um, trying to remember where does the fourth finger cross in the left hand? Then it's not lined up with the right hand and they cross different spots. It's just kind of easy to visualize this. So that's the C one that 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 fits pretty well in C. And they're all white notes. So, I mean, you could technically do any of these fingerings, these blocking patterns and use it in C because you're not restricted by black notes. But that's kind of the one that I've, that I've used, and that's what he suggests in the art.
1: Yeah, okay, cool.
0: And if you want to do contrary, I would start right-hand thumb on C, left-hand thumb on E, Yeah. and then that's really fits well within the hands. Then the next one would be G, and since there's only one black note, we want to favor the fourth finger. We want mm. to make sure fourth finger gets a chance to cross over onto the black note. So basically for G and also for F, since they both have one black note, all you have to do is say, make sure the fourth finger lands on the black note. And all the other fingers, they, they end up in groups of three, two, one, one, two, three, three, two, one, one, two, three. So G major, you could practice. That's one block, that's one block. Then fourth fingers. And this is kind of a cool finger. I mean, it feels different, but it's, it works pretty well.
1: Yeah, and then what do you, so for when you get to the top of the left hand. Um, I would probably it would, do
0: like an, a three on F sharp and then, or even like a two on F sharp. Yeah. I think I do like three, because it feels easier to cross over onto a three than onto a four when I don't actually need to cross onto a four. Right. If I'm just ending on G at the top.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I I know there could be an argument for, you know, well, use the four anyway because then when you do a three-octave scale or a four-octave scale, you know, continue the pattern. Yeah, that's a good point. I see that too, but yeah, I know what you're saying too. As long as you know, right, like it's all about awareness of what's going on and knowing the pattern and yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, and then F is kind of similar. It's pretty intuitive. So you'd start off three, two, one, one, two, three left hand three two one right hand one two three block it and then you immediately get the fourth finger both fourth fingers on b5 and then if you're ending that one the same kind of thing like use whatever fingering is convenient if you're stopping on the top and you don't have Mm -hmm. to necessarily keep the pattern if you're not if you're just turning around at the top
1: yeah okay
0: so that brings us to D major, which this one gets a little more complicated, but it's actually, um, it's actually pretty easy to explain. So I like, like you mentioned before, the two and the one and the one and the two go together. So I call this the chopsticks thing, like if students know how to play, if they think chopsticks and I just tell them like, you could, you mm-hmm. know, just explain that's a whole step and we're just going to. Do like a chopsticks thing, but on D and E with both Mm -hmm. hands. And now the part that gets kind of confusing is now the third on the first black note, the F sharp. The right hand is going to be on three and the left hand is going to be on four. So you just kind of have to remember. Mm -hmm. And what I like to do is I try to visualize, well, the fourth, I'm doing a fourth in the left hand because I want to get to the three, two, one block, which is coming up right next. Mm -hmm. And in the right hand, I'm tucking the thumb under, so I don't need a four for the right hand.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of like, and I see the next one B flat, you know, we're used to doing that with B flat, right? I've told my students, like, if one hand is the three on the black key, the other one is the four right there, it's always one is on the three, one is on the four. So yeah, yeah. so with this, it's the same idea for D major, just on the F sharp and C sharp. Exactly. So
0: Mm-hmm. So it's actually it should feel very similar to B flat, except except the positioning of the black notes is kind of reversed, right? Mm-hmm. They're on the sharps, so the yeah, yeah. which is kind of cool because if you practice D major in the right hand going up, and then if you practice B flat major in the in the left hand going down, starting on D, yeah, which would technically be like B flat. The mode of the Phrygian mode, I guess you could say since starting on the third scale degree. So B flat Phrygian and D e major in the right hand. Yeah. It's like the
1: perfect. Yeah. Movement. Right. It's not just symmetrical fingering, but it's symmetrical um, intervals or spacing. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, oh yeah. It's weird. It's so easy, but it sounds complex. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It feels if you try it, it's so easy, and you can yeah. do that. With, you can do that with all these G and F, are the same way you could do an exact reflection.
1: Hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's D has that kind of chopsticks thing, and then four in the left, three in the right, and the next one is just one, two, three, three, two, one, which is very similar to the blocks we've used before for C and F, C G and F. And then just switch now, four in the right, three in the left. So I just practice when I'm practicing this blocking. I just get really good at doing those blocks before I even try to start. And mm-hmm. what that does is in my mind it associates the blocks with those positions so that when I start playing like this, it doesn't turn into like just a lot of soup mixed up in my head of like where where do the designation start of how these blocks work together and I'm just hoping that the right and the left hand line up and land at the last note together but they'll probably get lost on the way sometimes so that's kind of what I've noticed too is this helps with keeping the hands very riveted together like little checkpoints along the way where okay the chopsticks always line up one two two one every single time on the way up so it's kind of like it's kind of like a check checking to make sure right. that they don't get asynchronous on the way up and slightly left hand is slightly slower, faster than the right hand.
1: Right, yeah. And I'm sure we've all experienced students who are struggling with a scale and they're going really slow. And it, the, the mindset is like, okay, what's the next note and which finger? Oh, okay. And what's the next note and which finger? Okay. It's very labor intensive, right? Because it's just note by note versus, yeah, if you practice the blocks, and you've got the four in the left hand, then it it sort of becomes automatic, like four, okay, the next one, you just, it's just the next finger, you just go to the three, go to the two, go to the one. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I love that idea, because it's like, when I read, I don't sound out every single word, my brain just immediately sees a block, because I've trained it to see that block of letters as a word, and then I can even see blocks of words as like common phrases, right, that are just so easy to recognize. Yeah. So that's what I want to help my students really develop that patterning in the brain.
1: Yeah. I wonder if there is there maybe just one one more that you want to. I do want to
0: look at the yellow one, the E major. Okay. because this one actually this is cool, because if you learn this pattern, you can actually it's the same pattern as like we said at the beginning. E major does not change. It is the traditional fingering already so it's just learning the blocking pattern for this and then you can actually transpose it to c g d a to to learn the traditional fingerings but do them in a way that that even though the black notes are in those positions you can still feel kind of how they it's the same blocks right
1: oh okay right i see what you're saying so, so like if i yeah. learn
0: e major i'm gonna block the thumbs together mm-hmm. and then i've got this block where it's two three and four three in the left hand so the third fingers always line up which is nice and then I've got the chopsticks thing in the center one two and two one and then third fingers line up again with four and two so once I get those blocks down I can transpose that to C and now I'm doing the traditional fingering for C But I'm but I'm doing it in a way that's a lot more intentional than just hoping that I can remember it through muscle memory.
1: Yeah. Okay. But would you I mean, would you still prefer or recommend the the alternate fingering for C where your left hand starts on three?
0: Yeah, I think I would prefer that one. Yeah. But it it could depend on the context. Like if I'm playing a piece where it's more convenient to start on the fifth finger in the left hand for a certain passage. Then I'd probably want to just use the E major fingering, which is the one that we've m- most of us have been taught. So,
1: yeah, and I did want to bring that up again because I, used I remember you saying that earlier. Within a passage or within the context of a certain piece, you might use a different fingering, and yeah, I think that's good and helpful, just in general as a concept, right? Like, oh, there might be you might be playing a Kulau sonata or something and there's this scale run and it's it's got one sharp so it's kind of like g major but maybe it doesn't start on the g or whatever right and so we're trying to figure out figure out the fingering pattern and it might not be that the that the g is the one and the a is the two etc
0: yeah that's a great point Mm mm-hmm and so this these blocking patterns can can kind of help to be more intentional with that. And that if I do cross the fourth finger onto a white note, I can at least kind of be aware of how it's lining up with the other hands, with the right hand. So yeah, I really like that idea.
1: All right. Well, are you willing to share this document with the these uh, diagrams with the with our listeners?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, great. I have another question maybe as we get close to wrapping up. Have you had students who either you taught the traditional fingerings or they already knew them and then you started using these and I don't know maybe do you have any examples of a student who you know did it help them or were they confused or did they did they abandon the old ones or what happened?
0: Yeah, so one example I can think of is recently Just last week, I started, I noticed my student was kind of struggling with scale fingerings. And she would basically, she would get through the scale, but it would be like different fingerings each time and would kind of just be haphazard. So I showed her the C, the C major one, which is three, two, one, one, two, three. And we took, I took her through the blocking pattern. And once you could tell it kind of started to click for her, she's like, oh, I can see how this lines up. And it was just like new, I could tell new neural pathways were being built. So I was really happy about that. And I'm excited to see her this week because I haven't, so I haven't, um, that's pretty new, but I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm going to see if that's helpful for her. Um, and I've a few other students I've introduced it to. Um, but I, but I want to keep working on it with, with my students and using it more often.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to try it with students and. Um, yeah, I'm interested too. what other teachers think about this. I know sometimes it can be controversial. I don't know why. I mean, it's just a scale it's scale. It's just fingering. But, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It can be a hot topic. Like, no, you have to use this finger on this note. Yeah. Sometimes I know just like a general teaching philosophy that I like is let the student discover it, let them explore and figure out and maybe they have trouble and maybe, maybe I can help them. You know, so they might have some wonky, crazy fingering that is difficult, you know. And so, yeah, normally I would just ask them, like, is there a way that could be easier? And I'm I'm wondering, I should do an experiment if they would just happen upon like these same alternate fingerings. Right. Like, like I said, my one student just kind of automatically did his thumb after a black key every time going down in the left hand.
0: Yeah, that's something I want to try, too, because back to that idea of learning, if the student learns learns a principle and then figures it out on their own, they'll probably learn it better than if I just say, do this, right? So I haven't really tried this fully. I've, I've explained it to some of my students, but I want to just go to a student who has never learned how to finger scales and say, this is the principle. Try to always make sure third, fourth finger cross over onto black notes and then see if they can kind of figure it out on their own. I think that would be a fun experiment. I've done, I've done that a little bit in some ways with students where I try to ask them, okay, if you, want, if you want the fourth finger to be here, what fingers would you have to put preceding that in order to lead up to it? And so then it kind of makes them think a little bit more about it rather than just memorize the pattern, check the box. Okay, I have that one memorized and then I'm not using as much activity in my brain to really explore it.
1: Right. All right, well, this has been really helpful and fascinating. Um, Zach, is there anything else that uh, you wanted to say or promote or any any last thoughts?
0: No, thank you Clinton i really I really appreciate this opportunity and I'm on a journey of discovery with this and working with my students so I'd be really interested and, and hopeful uh, that it can benefit other people as well.
1: Great. Well, thanks for coming on. And to the audience, hope this was helpful. You know, let me know if you have any questions or thoughts about this. I would love to hear your ideas and whatnot. And this has been The Piano Sensei Way. Take care.